Hello, everybody. This is episode 21 of ZK Live. I'm Zach Kenny. Today, we're going to be interviewing Amy from Amy Lynn Interiors. Hello. Hi. Whoa, this is so zoomed in. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. <laughs> I, so I heard you say airplane mode. Is there any other thing that I have to do to... I I thought I had it down with airplane mode and do not disturb, and I just got a phone call. I have Wi-Fi enabled calling on. Oh, okay. Um, I guess I still get phone calls during that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So this is exciting. <laughs> I know. This is so crazy. We're. Uh, I I've decided to push the podcast uh, envelope and do it live. Which I like that. Was not really well thought out, maybe, but uh, it's well been. It gives people the rawness. I definitely understand the back end of the podcasting and the editing. It's a lot of work. Um, I miss it, actually. I miss a lot of it, so. I know. I, I want to hear the story of, of what happened with that at some point. Oh, sure. It's not It's not even a – it's more of like a – it's a financial engagement. Um, but uh, there is something in the works, so I will be back doing podcasts soon. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. Um, so for people who don't know you, can you just give us a brief rundown of who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I'm Amy Lynn, Amy Lynn Allard, and I own my own interior design business. It's called Amy Lynn Interiors. I've been in the industry, in the design industry, we'll say, for uh, nine years. And when I say that, I've kind of been all over the place. And I've been in my own, uh, running my own business for the last two and a half, uh, two and a half years. So how long? Sorry, how it's been pretty. <laughs> oh, am I? Do I have so, bad service? In the, in, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Am I good? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. Um, what do you say? How long? How do you get into interior design? How did I get into it? Yeah. So I grew up around uh, design. My aunt was a stained glass artist. My grandfather did cane chairs. My grandmother built wagons. Um, I was kind of always thrown into some area of being creative. We drew like mandalas every day. And then my other grandfather who couldn't lift a hammer, we would sit there and watch Tim the Tool Man all, every weekend. And he was like, you're gonna, you're gonna be a designer. And at that point, I had no idea what it was because we grew up in a very, not like rich family, but a designer to a middle class family was like, what is that? Like, how, what do you, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, so it really wasn't something that I thought I was going to do, but it's almost like my whole family knew I was going to do it before I did. So Crazy. that's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you knew when you were born, but I don't know. I feel like you hear actors say that. You never hear like a designer saying that. <laughs> You definitely don't hear a painter saying that. I know, right? Or it's like a carpenter. It's more of like a truck driver, a singer. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so that's how I got into it. Um, yeah, so t getting into interior design, so you went to college specifically for that? Yes. Yep. I went to Mount Ida, um, was there for interior design. I wish I did a minor in business or sociology. Um, I think there's a lot of crossovers with that. And I do also wish that there was more of an opportunity to cater your major to what you're interested in, because there's a lot of just classes that were to meet 
an agenda that wasn't what I wanted. I wish I could have taken additional classes that was within my major to better suit myself for a career in interior design. Um, what I mean by that is the only thing I really learned from college was the two by four isn't a two by four. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying people shouldn't go to school for design. I think it's great to learn the history of design. I definitely learned a lot about that. But the majority of things that I put into my business, I really learned from my years being in the industry and the mistakes that I've made watching other people make mistakes. And maybe that's just my own personal learning style is I do learn from physically performing and watching things getting done versus book stuff for me wasn't uh, my strong suit. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, school is you, you, everybody thinks school is this like amazing place you look everything you get there and it's like it's just like the you do it just to be able to like get in the door and then actually start to learn stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I definitely think it's a good um, it's a good pay negotiation strategy. Um, it's also a great way to get an opportunity versus someone who has zero schooling. So there's a lot of benefits, but it's just an expensive benefit. And if you can convince someone to give you an opportunity, knowing that you don't have a leg up because you don't have education, but you can explain to them like, this is why I have education where it'd be beneficial for you. Like I've messed up on these other jobs, like, and I've learned from them may not sound like it's the attractive thing to say, but everyone wants to know that you're human and make mistakes and you've learned from them. Um, it'd be silly for you to go in there and, and kind of like tackle it that I don't have schooling and I'm perfect. <laughs> so yeah. I think experience speaks louder. Yeah. So if you were going to tell somebody today that was like a diehard kid that just loved design, maybe don't go to college and go find an internship out of high school with a design. What I would say is if school is something that you're like, I'm, I'm dying to go do, I would try to cater your classes to a specific agenda. And don't just take like a math, like geometry, you're going to need, you're never going to need algebra, you're never going to need pre-cal, none of like all of those classes that they make you take are such a waste of time and get in the way of um, what you're really there for and what you're paying a lot of money to be there for. So if you could cater your agenda for that that would make the most sense and i would 100 percent get into the internship as early as you can sorry that's my dog in the back <laughs> apparently she has something to add <laughs> um come on come here. but so that would be my answer it's, i don't want to say don't go to school but i think if you're going to and because there are some people that are just like very school driven and maybe they'll they have a different way of learning and um i just know my learning uh, there's actually a bunch of tests online. I'm big on to knowing like my learning type, my arguing type, um, how how I uh, how I retain and learn things. I would say that um, figure out how you learn best, and then really get your roadmap to that point. So yeah. So yeah. you did an internship in in college. Um, I didn't, and that is why I have recently decided that a heavy focus on my business is I, I have an internship program and I have the most amazing intern right now from Endicott. And I want to be so heavily involved with these interns because I'm like, if they can help me with building, see how I build my business or they can help me with my business, the, wheel, the wheels will start to kind of turn for them when they're in school and they look at things a little bit differently. And when you're in school, you almost, you see, um, a great example, I did a beehive project. I was inspired by a beehive. 
you literally walked into this room and you felt like you were like the queen bee. And I'm like, why did I have to take things so literal? It was so bad. It was the worst part. I look yep. back at it and I'm like, and my teacher's like, that's so, this is so great. You really took this theme home. And I'm like, absolutely. Like I look back and I'm like, that was so mean of her to tell me that was an amazing job because that was awful. <laughs> so this intern that I have working with me, she, um, a big goal for me was to have her take inspiration and take pieces of it don't take it as its whole like a, you can see a picture of uh for example a terrible paint job and i'm like you, so you see this color i mean you see the texture that of this like i kind of want that in a metal but almost like more scratched and more rustic um a little bit of rust looking in it and she's like oh that's interesting i would have never seen that when i look at a paint like a poor paint job i would have i would have never gotten inspiration from that and i think um working with designers who have created their own style you start to see how they pull inspiration and it's not direct the way you do in college they just they don't tell you like dig deeper they just say oh that's great like i don't know it's just a different um and i'm only talking from my own experience but uh i think internships are great because you kind of get into the real world and you're told that's awful like do it again <laughs> like i can't show that to my clients <laughs> um so my intern i realized i can't handle more than one um just because I really do want to put a, a lot of focus on them. And it is a lot to get an agenda ready for them for the day. But she is absolutely crushing it. And her eyes just like light up whenever she's asked to do something because she it's just so different than what her curriculum is. So to answer your question, I have not I was not in an internship. Um, and that was something that I really, really wish that I had the opportunity for. Yeah, I, that makes sense. It's a lot of responsibility, I think, could, to, to have an internship program or have interns and to do it in a way that's like beneficial to them takes a lot of work and is a big responsibility. Yeah, and also for you, for um, us as business owners, we want, um, it's like, I don't want to be doing, I don't want to show her how to do something and then have, Chloe, come on, uh, show her how to do something and then have to redo it for her because then it's kind of defeating the purpose of having her handle it. Um, and I think it's a great prep for me for hiring an employee as well, where I'm able to kind of see how I, how well I am at managing and see how well I am at delegating tasks and preparing them for her and um, being a teacher. It's definitely, it makes me feel a little bit more respect for my teachers. It is an incredibly hard thing to do is to be patient uh, to teach someone something that they don't know. It's like, where do you start? Do you, go to the grocery store to buy the bread to make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Or do you need to like earn the money to buy the bread? Like how far back do you need to start the process with them? And finding that sweet spot is exhausting. <laughs> That's fascinating. So you're talking about design and I would, first of all, if you ever have a picture of this beehive uh, room, I would love to see it. That went in the trash, like the year <laughs> after I graduated. My mom was like, do you want to save this project? I'm like, mom, why are you still holding on to that? <laughs> but so that idea of failing a lot, I think we talk about that a lot on here and, and how important it is to have failed a lot and how everyone that's successful has failed a lot and learned yeah. from it. Um, I'm interested in the in hearing, it, it was cool that it's got my brain thinking when you say that about design and not being super literal, but like sort of t taking influence from things. How does your design, what does your design process look like? I've always been very impressed by, by design, good designers. Yeah. Uh, they just bring so much to the table and it looks so good after, but like, how do you get there? This is going to sound so, uh, 
like it's not going to make sense at first but i would say in the beginning i was a terrible listener i got excited about everything a client would be like and i was so addicted to like fixing people's lives with design that i'm like tell me all your problems and i'll fix them not literally like saying that but i'm like so tell me about like your morning routine your afternoon routine and i would get so excited and want to suggest a million ideas instead of just listening to them complain not really complain but just talk about their lifestyle and like what they do what they enjoy um what they like about the house what they don't and digesting it and i think the biggest thing to a good designer is truly listening without already having a reply and it's so hard because you you know so much like you know one little thing is going to change their life or you know um even on the first discovery call i'm like i know i know exactly how their kitchen's going to end up being and i sound like a crazy person saying that but you just you get to know the person and a great example would be actually back up i'll explain to you how i learned how to listen i used to sell high end kitchen cabinets and they had the most amazing gadgets ever as a german engineered um cabinet line and germans they just engineer over engineer everything so anything you could ever wish for they had for an accessory so hard to not want to show everything so my uncle came um to visit me at the studio and um sorry i have like a dog around me whining it's distracting uh and he was like amy i just want you to take me around the showroom and i want you to pretend that i'm a client coming in and i don't know what made him to do this but he was like here's the deal like i wake up in the morning i if my wife's not up i like to have ice cream if she's up i have a cup of coffee <laughs> and i was like okay that's weird but okay that people say weirder stuff and um who am i to judge that sounds amazing so then he's like and we like we do coffee sometimes we do tea but we really enjoy our mornings together and um you know he's like and then she cooks dinner and we'll have to talk with her about like how she likes to cook and everything so as we're walking around and like well this I, this is great for coffee this is great for organizing your silverware and he's like amy no like you can't show me a million things and my brain's already spinning you need to show me like one or two things that you that shows that you're listening to what i'm saying and then let me like want more and want me let me kind of say like oh that's a great idea oh well what about this like what if i'm doing what if i'm making breakfast in the morning and i like to um have cereal before and i'm like he's like let me dictate what else i need but just show me a couple of things that speak to what i what i've told you and he's like so start over and i'm like oh my gosh he's like you wake up um how early are you waking up he's like usually before sunrise i'm like all right how about we do just led lighting in that one drawer where your silverware is so you don't have to turn any lights on when you open up the freezer to get your ice cream there's already a light in there so we'll just do a silverware drawer and we can say it's just for like the late night snacks and we can just leave out the early morning ice cream and that's like that makes that will change your life like you'll have a a drawer that lights up and that's such an easy thing to add um and so he was like this is exactly how you need to listen and you can't you get so excited and you think of all these things in your head but not everyone they're coming to you because they want you to to help them but they don't want you to overwhelm them and i do i get so excited i i have to tell my clients in the beginning if i'm talking too much or i'm 
too excited, like slap me. I don't know, like tell me, Amy, like calm down. <laughs> so I mean, a lot of my clients like it and I think that's why they, they uh, work with me because they like the energy that I bring, but it can be overwhelming to a lot of clients. I, I, I can relate a ton to that. I get very excited. You can't, yeah. <laughs> in a way of communicating. I found that it it's in the way of communicating or, or like, you know, when you want to convince somebody of something, they'll yeah. be super excited about it, which is so counterintuitive. But I just left the client meeting, uh, super high end, super crazy job, like dream job. And I've been trained enough now in sim, in sim <laughs> or from like, having bad experiences now i didn't have an uncle come in and coach me up that i much. know <laughs> and i was i was to have a two-hour meeting with them last two weeks ago and really listen and and shut up and honestly listen yeah i was really concerned about giving them what they wanted and we brought the sample to them today and <laughs> again it's like like shutting up saying my piece and like shutting up yeah it's so hard to do when you're excited it but is so powerful. It's one of those things too, where you after like, do you always reflect after your meetings too, when you meet with a client and you're like, should I just like stop talking? Should I have not been honest? Should I just like saved it for the next meeting? Is it too soon to be this brutally? Actually, a case an example was I called you after a meeting with a client and I'm like, I just, I have a hard time telling clients like, that's just not going to look good. And especially when they're so in love with it, they're like bring a, a cabinetry hardware to the table. And I'm like, just doesn't go with anything. I mean, it's a beautiful hardware. We can do it on your next mid-century modern home, but this, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work in here. And I, and I don't want you to like regret this, but it, and it's hard for them because they can't see it. They just see a beautiful piece of hardware. Yeah. But so it's hard too when you get excited about things. Um, when you get excited about things, but then it's also hard when you have to like tell your clients that what they picked out is awful or that that sofa that they've had for 20 years um, is great, even though you don't think it is, but you know you have to work around it and you understand the, the history of it. Um, it's just, it, it is, it's one of those things where learning how to, I think someone just commented, learning how to listen to your clients is very powerful for any kind of job and 100%. Uh, that is why the initial call is so critically important not even to understand the scope of the job, just to see if you could put up with me for six months. Like, <laughs> like, can you deal with me for six months? Okay, yes. Can I deal with you for six months? Yes. Okay, so we can do this job together. What's it gonna take? <laughs> and, and that, for me, there's this like feeling, this like feeling of discomfort after you say like the, the hard thing, or you say, like I said, a huge price today to the clients. Massive. like probably the biggest price I've ever said to anyone like face to face and like just saying it and shutting up and like feeling the discomfort and the tension in my body. Like, in my yeah. Body, and just like waiting. Yeah. Watching <laughs> digest it and like not jumping in with like five little caveats and <laughs> to like yeah. ease myself or in like your example with like, this isn't going to work. Like also saying like, here are the parameters I need. I need the house to myself. Well, what if we want to put the dish? Can, the, can they put the appliances in? In the past, I would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let them put the appliances in. It's only one. <laughs> and then I, I'm just like, no. 
that's going to cause a cascading effect of this, this, and this that has to happen. And no, like not if we're going to deal with what we're talking about. And that ability to to feel the discomfort and and like like live in it for a minute is so powerful. It really is, and you can feel the it like at the point where I know I need to 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 say something or be honest is when. I physically can't listen to anything else that they're saying because I'm so scared about upsetting them on not, a, not, I don't want to say not agreeing, but not being able to move forward with something that they've kind of presented as a non-negotiable. And at one point, there's been many jobs where in the beginning where I said, like, this is great. The clients are like my, my onboarding process was very casual great nice like how are you what's your project like great client great personality but i didn't ask the really hard questions in the beginning and then halfway through the project i'm like we both had two different visions of what my role was going to be and they wanted me more as a consultant but i'm having a really hard time letting go of things where i i know what's going to come of letting them choose this crown molding they're going to have three quarters of an inch shadow line above their cabinets unless we do a stacked filler and at that point we have a beaded inside it's just too busy so i'm i'm knowing all these things in my head but i'm like they've already she just emailed me saying that she caught she confirmed the cabinet plans and i didn't even get to look at them and i'm like i can't do this anymore like i this is an amulet in tears this is like i can't this is these are things that i can't allow myself to get involved with and i think that would be that'd be one of like the, the learning curves of figuring out how to communicate effectively and pausing and listening, I would say the other flip side of that is asking the right questions and know and like practicing them. And I have a whole list of open-ended questions because I struggled with open-ended questions. I don't know why. I, like, I just want to do yes or no answer. And I'm like, I need to get more information out of them besides do you like this? Yes. Okay. What do you like about this? Like, and I, I found myself after getting those sub surface level responses where I would, I practice on digging deeper. And then eventually now I've gotten away from those surface level questions where it's like, how are you? How's the weather? Those kind of things. Like, and I've just dug right into, so tell me about what you like about option one. Let's dig into why. And so it just, it's interesting. Um, I would say I'd recommend for every designer, every profession, write a bunch of open-ended questions. And on the flip side of that, write a bunch of things that you need to know as a, as a painter. Um, what is your level of expectations? Um, do you want to be able to rub your face on the wall and feel like you're brushing up against butter? Like, do you, <laughs> do you want your friends to not be able to touch your walls when they come over because they're high gloss? Like, I don't know, like just things, um, questions that are awkward but are they almost like create this rapport with the person where they can feel that they can be honest with you about anything kind of thing am i rambling <laughs> oh, I do, on, on a lot of repaints i i do a, a similar just like does this bother you does yeah what about this like trying to like pull out what is this client going to be like at the end of the project when we walk through yeah and because then I can understand, like, how thorough is this paint job going to be? Because it used to be, like you were saying, like, you get so excited. I, I was giving them the paint job that I wanted. Right. And yeah. 
And you start to realize, like, wait a second, this person doesn't care about the paint job I want. They care about the paint job that they want. And so if you want to be in business for a while and actually make people happy, you have to start to give them what they want. And let's talk about paint because I, in the beginning days, used to always cut paint out. I'm like, you know, it's just paint. They're like, you know, it's $17,000 to paint every single room in the house, the exterior, just one door, whatever. And um, they're like, you know what, we can, we'll just get that done another time. Or we'll hire, we'll end up painting a couple of our rooms ourselves. Let's just have them paint the kitchen and the front door and whatever, we'll do the rest. And I'm like, all right, yeah, like, that's fine. Not even understanding the severity of it like they go to paint their bedrooms and they've already hung a tv in five different walls locations and they're not prepping it they're just painting over it then they go to install the cabinetry built-ins on one wall and then you have all these open holes <laughs> like and i'm like at one point i'm like i didn't notice it when i was in the middle of it and just cutting the paint budget i noticed it when we had a good paint job i was like this is what a finished product looks like like this there's no there's like everything looks flawless everything just looks completed um it just looks so well put together and you can't really pinpoint why but then as a designer i'm like what is so different about this and here i am like trying to pick it apart and i'm like is it because there's drapes is it because there's nice baseboard is it because there's no baseboard heat like what and i'm like no it's the friggin paint i've never had a, a project where I've had a professional painter come in and after that, after one working with Nick on one of them, I did a small bathroom project in Westboro and they didn't, the painter flaked on them. And for whatever reason, they ended up, the guy who built the cabinets ended up having to paint the walls and it looked atrocious. I was like this beautiful high gloss tile and this beautiful marble. And it's up against this like God awful, patched drywall wasn't even sanded down to be like the prep work was just gone and they just slapped paint over over it and i'm like oh my god i can't even i can't even appreciate this every anything I, every and even the client was like i don't know why i didn't pay just to have like a like a different painter do it or just say stop and i'll let's remove the paint from it and we'll just we'll have someone come when he can cut like when he's available um but I just, I couldn't get over. It's like that saying is you don't know, you don't, how's the saying go? <laughs> you don't know like what's good unless you see it or like you don't know what you've been missing until you see it. And with paint, it was just paint. And now it's like, yeah, it is just paint, but it is everything. Like it's, it ties everything together. So. Yeah, I, I've been accused of ruining a lot of people's. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> like once they see what good is that you can't go back oh i see the orange peel gloss all the time and i'm like oh oh like yeah. i even waste money on that just don't go gloss it don't do gloss if you are not paying if if you don't have just like money to blow do not pick gloss just don't like save your bank account save your misery like it just it, um, gloss is so beautiful but it has to be done right it needs to look like a mirror it's the the gloss um wine cellar that you did was incredibly breathtaking i was completely blown away by that 
So yeah, you've completely ruined. I think I've sent you stories kind of like a, a jerk, but like, I'm like, oh my, I can't even appreciate It's like, like Ken, Ken has forever changed my grain matching and book matching. If I see it, anything that's not book match, it like makes my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah. So and I always tell clients like a good paint job. It, it's about feeling more than it's about like picking out the individual things, you know, Yeah. In a job, and also with Five Paints of Europe, it, it's a, it adds another level to it, but you will feel the difference in the room. 100%. 100%. That's kind of what it is, is you can't put your finger on it, but you feel the difference. Oh, yeah, completely. And I think that's the same thing with, like, a well-designed room or, um, yeah, I think it goes for a lot of things. When they're done well, you just, you can't pinpoint it. You, it's just so, I think we're also trained to pick out the faults in a room. So when we can't pick out a fault, we're like, huh, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> I don't like, I like everything about this room. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a, uh, it definitely is interesting how paint can make a big difference. Yeah. But and same yeah. design is one of those things that it's similar to paint where when it's good, you feel it, but sometimes you can't pick out why it's so good. It's this, yeah. The total package is what makes it like the, the continuity in design is what I love when I work with good designers and the continuity of the room is is so strong that you can't even figure out that's what it is until you have seen enough of it. Right. Oh, man. Like this is something greater than the sum of its parts. Have you seen the SNL skit of um, Farrow and Ball? I have. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> It's so good. I, I sent it to Tyler because one of our clients was specifying. Oh, this is another thing, actually, a great paint conversation where um, everyone has <clears throat> their favorite white, their favorite gray. They're, everyone has it. And I combat it all the time as a designer where they're like, oh, um, I want to use, uh, we'll say Chantilly Lace because my friend's sister loves it. And I saw it in her house and I really, really like it. And I'm like, okay, do you know what color temperature bulb she has or they should have like 2,700 Kelvin or 3,000, um, 2,000 Kelvin. Like what are her, what's her lighting situation like? Does she have a lot of natural light? Um, so it is interesting because whites, everyone, everyone is influenced by what friends and family have said their favorite white is. And with this particular client, uh, she asked a designer friend and she'd recommended a Farron Ball paint, a white one. And Tyler was like, what like what is Farron Ball and what like I don't know I don't know if he even knew what Farron Ball was so I sent him that skit and he's like calore like it was the funniest like but I do it Farron Ball has beautiful paint colors don't get me wrong like and their paint is phenomenal but I'm curious on your standpoint what is the difference between a Sherwin Williams Benjamin Moore and Farron Ball because right. I feel like fine paints of Europe is like way out there uh their their paint is not phenomenal okay their color <laughs> The project I just left, um, we're, so I think I think we have the, the part of the project that we're going to do, and we're switching to fine paints of Europe in Pharaoh and Ball color. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, Pharaoh and Ball is a beautiful color chart and a beautiful genius marketing company with pretty inferior paint for the price. Um, there's wow. No, um, and that's and that, great to know. <laughs> Most painters will tell you that it's, you know, we don't like the paint. It's, it's not high quality paint. It's not easy to apply. 
um, but it's Pharaoh and Ball, and they the colors beautiful, and they've they've really targeted designers to the point where designers think it is great, and the color is. So, I would say the difference in quality of paint is is just that, like what's in the gallon of paint. So fine paints of Europe is is the holy grail. They're the highest quality paint. It's just paint in a gallon. All the other paints are that same paint, essentially, maybe not as high quality ingredients, but it's just paint. And then they add fillers to the paint that are really cheap to make it cheaper. So they're like diluting the paint, but not making it runnier. If you like, they're adding like clay or talc or mica, these inert, like volume filling things in the gallon that mm -hmm. dilute paint. Um, and so now in a wall that's like $30 gallon paint, which means it's mostly like clay, it's going to be rough and porous and the light's going to die in that surface. It's not going to reflect out the color that's. Oh, the, interesting. Yeah. Um, so again, you won't feel the room won't feel that color. It won't glow that color because it's a porous surface because of all that clay. Um, so fine paints of Europe and other like the super premium paints have less filler, which means they're going to be smoother, which means the light's going to reflect better. It's, I never knew that. Yeah. So I just knew I appreciated good paint. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, rooms painted with the same color in two different like qualities of paint. One will feel like the color and glow and the other one will be just like, ugh. 100%. Okay. So, Interesting. And, and, and again, fine paints of Europe can be made in any color. So it's just when you spec the paint, you spec like the quality of the resins and the pigments. And then you can have it tinted in any color. Okay, so that's that makes sense why when I said like a 25% sheen, and I only know my sheens based on custom cabinets that I will specify with like Country Craft or uh, Ken, and I'll specify like what I want the sheen to be. And I'd never been able to actually like specify a specific number sheen when it came to paint. I had to choose between like an eggshell matte. Um, some in every paint line had different sheens and getting a sample, like getting actually that on the wall to look the way, like just as a sample for the client to approve of was never the same once it was applied with a bigger gallon. It was, there's just so much discrepancy. So. Yeah. And so again, it, like I like the numbers too, and we prefer the numbers in cabinetry. It's, it's objective. That is, that's a, there's a like a meter yeah. on the surface and it will tell you what the degrees of sheen are. Wow. If you look at it, but every company's um, technical data for their paint will have that degrees of sheen. Okay. So you can look up like, okay, it's going to be Benjamin Moore Aura. We can see like, what is the degrees of sheen of a satin from Benjamin Moore Aura versus an eggshell versus a, um, so I do, I, I think it's, it is always best to talk in degrees of sheen and you can just go look at the technical data sheet to figure out um what that sheen actually is okay that makes sense i had no idea about the paint but i'm happy to know that they're all so like basically benjamin moore sean williams and firm are all kind of in the same category and then it's okay that makes sense i think of europe is is a, a far more robust product now sean williams just came out with a wall paint that they say will compete with fine paints of europe wall paint yeah uh, i'm interested to try it um, but I will say that the I 
I would at all costs not use Pharaoh and Ball paint and use their color. Colors, yeah. Cool. That's actually that's good to know. Yeah, it's uh we run into it all the time. Um I could go into it forever quick. <laughs> that, that's really kind of where it ends. Yeah. All right. That that makes sense. I definitely I, I learned something new. So this is great. <laughs> I think it. The more that designers and architects can understand the the paint and the products, like it's so valuable to the client because the client does like you're bringing like the, you're talking about the final product. Mm -hmm. and, when a, an architect on a multi-million dollar home just like writes this general's paint spec and there's just like well anything similar to this and it's like how are you going to care about everything else in the house and then like not care about the type of paint the actual product that's on all the surfaces right um and only care about the color of it so i i do like when designers are like no this i want this product and at the higher end with what, where we were, where we, where we are working, it is generally fine paints of Europe is the thing that someone will spec because it doesn't add that much cost to a project. Um, yeah. And it does add a lot of value. It's interesting. I was talking to, um, to, uh, another painter and he was asking me like, how do you get in with, um, designers? Like you guys seem so unapproachable. And I was like, really, I don't, I don't feel that like us designers are, like we want, um, I don't, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I love when reps reach out to me. I hate when they just show up, um, it drives me nuts because I'm like my, I already deal with like a million phone calls as it is that I have to either answer or ignore and get back to. I shouldn't say ignore, but I just focus on what I'm doing and then get back to it. Um, but cut it however you want. And so when it comes to approaching designers and I think that as designers, we don't know what we're missing just because we've never, we haven't either been exposed to it or someone hasn't taken the time to, to literally be like, no, you're meeting up. We're going to have coffee. Do you drink tea, coffee? Um, would you prefer lunch? Like, and get to know them as a person versus trying to sell your product or feel them out. Cause maybe they would rather, maybe they want you to be, maybe they want to be sold on something. Um, but I feel like we're all, we all read people really well in this industry because we're all, for a service. Um, so it's important for us to read who our client is and in the in your in front of you is a designer and it's like, okay, does she would she want to learn about paint? Like you just explained to me and say, like, you know, what's your extent on paint? Have you ever run into issues with a terrible paint job? Have you ever had a great paint job? I would love to see what your level of um paint has been or what your experience has been with it. And be like, I know it's just paint to you, but for me it's everything. And like They'll appreciate that. Like when it's something is you're so passionate about it, like that's why a designer is a designer. They're not just a designer because they have a degree in it. They're this is like an industry where you're not in it if you're not passionate. And I think that they'll um they'll really appreciate if you just like get to know them, understand why they started the industry, what do they do for fun? Um everyone that I meet, I always have their coffee order or tea order. I'm a big coffee drinker and if I show up empty handed or without something for someone and they're going to put up with me for an hour. I feel like I have to like kind of bring something <laughs> to be like, cause I'm very particular on certain things. And, um, and like my contractors are as well. Um, it's just a great way to build rapport is to have something in common and figuring out whether that's like as simple as like you guys both drink coffee and maybe 
black. I don't know. Um, or you're both from like the same town or you both work for the same client or whatever it is. Like, I think just getting to know them as a person before selling for me has made it better because then I'm not picking you. I'm not picking you because I like the paint that you like i'm picking you because i want to work with you just like i'm picking my clients like i i only work with people that i enjoy working with because you come in at the end of it this is like that's where all the budget gets cut like you're in the fire zone <laughs> so it is so important to have a painter that you know is going to make you look good because god forbid like they did a half job on all the trim and it's your job to prep it and make it look like a million dollars still and so it just it's it's interesting i think that as a painter um you're easily cut and you, you can easily walk into a zone where you're like how am i supposed to make this look like this isn't what i was told i'd be walking into and to have a designer that you can call and be like hey what are we going to do this isn't what i was thinking about like this isn't what i was expecting to walk into how it's going to be an extra like two days of prep work that i wasn't planning for then the, you kind of have someone that you can bounce things off of. And maybe she's like, all right, well, let me call the contractor and get talk to him about it. Maybe he's not even aware of it. But it's just like one extra level of um, like a team player in your team that's not under your payroll. I don't know if that's that makes sense. but Well, Jake Bresson just said it. That's gold. What you just said, I think I heard you say it. I, I don't remember when. Uh, I think it was you recently about yep. – Painter, like designers work with painters that they like. Hundred percent. And that's like, and that was. And they don't work with painters that do a great job. <laughs> yes. Like. Yes. My mind is blown, and I want to go cry in a corner because for like years, I'm just like, this technician. It is the same thing with clients. It, yeah. Like, like this technician that wants to like go nerd out about and talk to them about, and it's like, no, we're human beings. People want to work with people they want to work with they like. Yeah. And that idea of like networking should be connecting with human beings and not like talking about the like what you can do and how it looks. It's yeah. You won't catch me at a networking event. I can't handle the oh how's business? It's great. <laughs> I like <laughs> like tell me something fun about you. Like why did you wear that bright pink shirt? You sound you look like you must be a fun human. <laughs> Like, let's have some conversations about, like, things that matter. I don't want to talk about how busy I am. Because even if I'm not busy, I'm going to lie and tell you I am anyways. Like, there's no, like, there's no point to these conversations. And so I think that even I, like, find myself, like, I just had a hard conversation with one of my builders. I'm like, look, your tile guy sucks. Like, why are you still using him? I get, like, if you're going to, like, if you're trying if you're walking with him through this and you're massaging him and figuring out like what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are like i get that but can we either accept that he's not going to get to the level that we want and we're going to have to either sit him down and figure out because i don't want to just cut him out because he's not good i'd rather give him the chance to like you know perform to the level that we want or we're going to look for another tile guy like there's no we just we all get so comfortable with our subs because that's what we've used all the time and then we all we each grow sometimes our subs outgrow us where they're like you know it's going to cost us ten thousand dollars to do all the tile work and like holy crap you usually come in at like six grand we're going to have to find someone else and then we finally catch up to their caliber so it's it's not always like it can go both ways i guess is what i'm saying and with a painter 
when you start out, you find a painter, you like him, his price is great, you're, you're familiar with it, it's second nature, you can quote, you can put in a line item for that paint job because you're used to it and it just becomes second nature and then you get stuck in this like continuous routine of using people that don't elevate you, I guess. I, I mean, it happens all the time. It does. And that, and, and so it, it's like works both ways. If, if mediocre or bad painters are staying busy with designers because they're, they're easy, like they're, they're least nice to work with and their work sucks. Like this, it's, it's a great, it, it just show, goes to show. It took, we talk about this all the time on here that like a great paint job will not keep you busy and will yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> but even as a great designer, being a great dad, like it, it goes in every profession. It, it is, it's interesting. Just that I like, I, I wish I knew it earlier that it's not about, you have to have a good product, but 100% have a good product that does not ensure greatness or, or a bit or a busy schedule or a profitable company. There's I'd so say persistence, persistence definitely prevails. <laughs> like if you just consistently, I'm like, and even if the designer is completely blowing you off, you're like, look, here's the deal. I love what you do. You do amazing. Like, I'm not just, I'm not just like, so random, like closing my eyes and like opening up some book and just being like, okay, of designers and be like, I'm going to call this person. This like I selected you because I love what you do. Stroke their ego because that's a hundred percent. You wouldn't be calling them if it wasn't someone that you thought you could be elevated and they could be elevated from it. So I think that that's something where, um being honest about that in the beginning and i i love asking any person that i work with what's your dream project and everyone said every builder that says whatever the client wants i'm like nah like no like that i mean that's a that's such a surface level response like tell me what you're do you want to build like a tree house for like a boy that um wants to be a professional chef and he's gonna have like this little mini child kitchen like get creative like you're in the creative industry what is your you don't have like a dream project like for you what would be your dream paint job i mean we're, the, the one we're on right now is <laughs> was that was the dream and it's yep. like times two or times three rooms so a black gloss room yeah that's cool rooms and a five-story handrail in black gloss all at once like i would have told you last year that was my dream that's pretty cool. It's crazy. It's yeah. Crazy. And I'm like, I can't wait. Like I'm looking at this blank slate. It's all white in like primer right now. And you look, look at it and I cannot wait until it is black gloss piano finish everywhere. <laughs> like, well, right? you're not talking about the project in, um, in a cell bar, are you? Or is that another oh, piano black? Uh, there's a project we just started in Beacon Hill. Oh, okay. Two full rooms. It's a four-story brownstone. So the second floor is two rooms and a bathroom. So cool. All three of those rooms are ceilings, walls, and trim black gloss. This is so cool. Oh, I can't believe I I mean, you know I love black. I know. <laughs> You're gonna have to come check it out. The, oh, the, I definitely want to. Up with the idea too, which was crazy. That's the, really cool. It's it is going to be Boston Design Guide was there shooting today. They're gonna be That's rocking. what it was. Okay. It's That's a, pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, it just gives me chills thinking of how insane it's going to be. Um, yeah. And because of that, like I gave this client a massive price break, massive price break. 
because I was so I wanted it so bad. I've never wanted it so bad in my life. Um, That's awesome. And so you know, this was our marketing budget for the next year and a half, and uh, <laughs> best of it. That's amazing. That I mean, it's awesome. Hey, I mean, you've got to do it. Are you going to celebrate, or are you? Is the marketing expense your way of celebrating? <laughs> oh, I like. We're going to crush this project. It's going to put us onto a level in the city that we have not been at yet. It will. I, I mean, there's not a higher level. More. I don't think it's going to be a more intense and and high profile project than this when it's over. That's awesome. Congrats. So it, it's exciting and it's yeah. terrifying. Uh, but yeah, that that would be like if I would have told you before the wine room, my my dream project was a, a gloss room. And then yeah. after the wine room, it was, I would have said just one full room. And now it's like three full rooms. That's pretty badass. That's cool. Yeah. What about you? What's your dream project? So I've always wanted to design the inside of yachts. I did like sailing for many summers in Marco Island in Florida and just I and I went on a couple of like the our clients would come on the boat and then they invite us out on their yachts after and I just go in them and a lot of them are like nice but like dated nice like lots of like mahogany high gloss wood and it just was like and like tan leather and some of them had like red leather and I don't know like the inside of cars look super sporty and fun and I'm like why did the inside of yachts kind of like miss the boat a little bit literally and so I was just like I don't know I that's just been my dream job and I think one day I almost picture myself like wanting to live in a boat for a while and renovate it and then like a yacht and then sell it or just flip them and it's a weird kind of concept to flip a yacht but that would be my ultimate dream job is to do that. Be pretty badass. And then you can come and paint everything in high gloss. <laughs> oh, and Fine Paints of Europe is marine enamel. So it's meant for boats. Really? I didn't know that either. Yeah. So. I know a designer. I, I, I know of her. I've met her a couple of times in Rhode Island. Uh, Maloney Interiors. And that's. Oh, out it? of Rhode Island? Yeah. Jen, uh, Jen right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I knew her from the ASID committee. Yes, she was on ASID. That's how I met her. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. And that's, I was like, oh, you're a yacht, interior yacht designer? It's pretty badass. It's really cool. I, one of my clients has a massive yacht and they have, they redesign it. And that's the thing about yachts, they get redesigned fairly frequently when you have. Mm -hmm. And they, I think it was like, there's a company in, Newport when you're when you drive out of I always drive by them now I met the guy and he was he gave me his card at one point but that's all they do too is just yacht design that's uh, cool I have to check them out in Newport I'm gonna write that down yeah remind me if it, I'll help you find it it's a, they have a, a logo it's like a red triangle and I want to huh. on okay in Newport because I always on the way out of Newport you always drive by it okay I definitely have driven by that and never I always see WKP's signs everywhere. When I get off the bridge, I'm like, Wade, you're killing it. <laughs> you're absolutely killing it. So that's cool. Um yeah, so let's more of your design process. What so because we just we just were working together, you just helped out one of my clients. And I think I learned even then I kind of learned about a little bit of what you do and don't do. Uh you you're not going to do every aspect of the design of an interior. Is that correct? 
So I actually, when you refer the client, I actually don't do usually like those spinoff consoles. So I'm like, you know what? I kind of lost Black Kitchen, White Kitchen. Her style seems cool. She knows Cindy Stumpo. And I'm like, she must be like this amazing, like super talkative client who like is passionate about things and like nailed it. That's exactly who she is. She's great. She's great energy. So I'm happy that I did. But I, um, I typically don't do just like consoles because I have a control problem. I don't like being able, I don't like having to work with um, existing things that aren't their style. And I struggled so much during that meeting, but it was such a great, um, there was actually at one point at the meeting where I was like, I really, I don't think that I'm gonna be able to help her. Like, I don't know, I, I can't, um, like the energy just like wasn't flowing for me and it, the, the stuff just wasn't like clicking. And I'm like, okay, well, we could do this, but shoot, we'd have to do this. And she's like, well, we don't want to spend money on new cabinetry. I'm like, okay, that closes that door. Okay, let's, okay, this idea. And she's like, uh, well, if we redo the hood, then we have to redo the backsplash. And I don't want to do that. And I'm like, okay, so that closes that door. And I'm like starting to sweat a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how like, I'm going to like invite myself to the door at some point and be like I'm so honored like I want to help you so badly because like she's just such a sweet sweet human being and I was like I'm gonna um we're gonna figure this out so I was like okay I just I think she saw me I like took a deep breath <laughs> I was like I was like all right I have an idea I'm just gonna spit out some ideas that I can see working and you can 100% be like absolutely not Amy like nope not gonna happen so I was like all right one idea we're going to keep everything in the kitchen white we're gonna do the island piano black the coffee bar white as well we're gonna remove some of the decals that are on the cabinets and then we're gonna do a black uh strip on the hood where the shelf is to kind of like um like I don't want to say like anchor but like hug the kitchen a little bit and then she has brass um restoration hardware pe pendants so like massive like globes very like industrial um looking and then she had this very like grand luxe kitchen with like a lot of ornate details and there's a lot of um there's like and i i'm all about like mixing classic with trendy finishes and trendy features so i'm like okay we're gonna treat the brass as trendy so how do we make this into a classic kitchen so one we've got a white kitchen great we've we've we brought in a classical element now the hardware that she wants it's like a buster and punch hardware and it's a super trendy hardware and she wants to do it in brass to complement the pendants and i'm like would be so lovely if these were like flat slab cabinet door fronts and it would look so good and like i see where she's going with it and uh, and then these are the hardware i would use um after she's told me that like it's a non-negotiable that she wants to use those hardware and i'm like and then this is the hardware that we do but we do it in brass but since it kind of complements the bead in the cabinet, it's gonna tie it all together and not feel like we're, you know, pushing the envelope too much. And she's like, you really think so? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, this is gonna be so bad. Like, do I say no and be like, just kidding? And be like, we're gonna do everything you want or do I move forward? And I was like, I do. And she's like, I love it. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, this is why I can't do these things. I get like, so like, it's actually funny one of my clients just uh commented on here and i actually we got in like a fight not a fight but i told her like we're not doing this style door she wanted to do a, a barn door in her um mid-century home and i'm like we're not doing a barn door in your mid-century home like and i'm friends with her too i'm like i can't come over to your house all the time and see a trendy barn 
door and admit I can't do it. And I text her after, like, I feel like I just got in, like, a argument with my best friend and um, telling you you can't do something when you really can at your home. Like, I'm just telling you, like, you hired me for this, and I want to give you my honest opinion. And maybe my delivery sucked. I don't know. But it's it's uh, it's hard doing spinoff stuff because you can't, you don't have control. So, so that's my long and is like starting from scratch stuff, right? I yeah, I love um, starting from scratch is my my go to because it's like if you're gonna spend any money on a renovation, don't just put a band aid on it. Like, do it exactly how you want, and if that means you need to wait three or four more years to to plan to save whatever it is, like spending any of your money. And I I hate when people say, oh. I want to I want to spend my money for someone else to enjoy because I want to I want to consider resale. It's like why would you want to spend all of your hard earned money to imagine what the next person's gonna want? Everyone wants to change anything. No one has the same taste. So why would you design this to cater to someone else? Like you're gonna live here and you're gonna want to enjoy it. So don't spend the money for someone else. It like that. Oh my gosh, that's like a, a trigger point. I, I have actually had to like talk myself. His clients don't realize they're just programmed to say it just like they're programmed to say, I want a ton of storage. Do you, <laughs> do you need a ton of, you don't really have anything. So what do you need the storage? So it's like, we're, we have to realize things as designers and as painters that we'll say things where we don't even realize that we're saying it. We're just, we're, we're kind of like, I don't want to say brainwashed, but we are, we see all these TV shows and we're like, we have these preset expectations for paint, a great example. Oh, I saw on before you even say your price, like, oh, well, I in their in their minds, like, wait, no, I thought it was going to be like $8,000, but yet they've never hired a painter before. So where, where is this information coming from? And it's either a previous conversation for someone where they talked about pricing, it's on TV. And so it's like trying to figure out why people say things that they want um, and hearing them and then like challenge, not challenging it, but like digging a little bit deeper is really where the magic happens. <laughs> so, so you take like the, the bones of the structure of a place that's being gutted and then you use your fancy computer program <laughs> and you like make it all come to life in 3D, right? Yeah, and it's funny because after I go to a home uh, where there's like everything's already, like they haven't done demo yet, we'll take measurements and things. Um, I've now gone after that step, I go and I make a goal for each of the designs where it's like, okay, the goal for design option one is going to be um, X, Y, and Z. I can't get all the wish lists in this one, but I'm going to put that in my, my design goal for option two. So I'll go through each of um, and I usually do one, two to three different designs. Usually I plan for the first and second one and I automatically have a design goal. And then as I'm curating both of the designs, one, it comes to me where I'm like, this is great. I can't fit it in this one. I'm going to put it in the next one. And so that's how the third one comes to me. But yeah, I, I specialize in. All right. We're back for episode for part two of episode 21. Uh, I'm sorry for everyone that just cut off. It gave me no warning that we were about to be up. We are talking interior design with Amy Lynn from Amy and Lynn interiors. Uh, it's an unbelievable conversation about how her now, right now we're talking about her design process but we've been talking about saying no to clients, how to tell them the hard things, um, how to read people, um, 
how to, if you're a painter, to talk to an interior designer. Um, I don't know what happened. That's the second time now that's... Actually, that's the first time that's happened where it didn't give me a countdown. And it just happened out of nowhere. But back on and we'll continue this conversation. That was a very abrupt and bizarre um, ending to part one. <laughs> no, I like what... <laughs> It always gives me a two-minute, like, clock at the top, and it just it didn't give me a two-minute clock. It just ended. Oh, is it, like, for an hour long? Is that yeah. why? It, oh, got it. So after I'm the, new to this. Like, oh, there's two minutes left. Let's wrap this up, and we'll start back again. It just cut off. That's all right. Sorry. No, it's okay. The last thing I was just saying was that I get mostly into um, – wait, yeah. So I get mostly into, like, anything that's heav heavily cabinetry designed, and I – I've really focused on the flow of rooms and the functionality of how they're going to be using the space. I don't do anything that's like soft goods or furnishings. Um, I know general sizing of like king size bed and sofa lengths and chair sizes, um, things like that. Like I know, I know, like I know them to plan for them, but I am so bad at, oh, hi, Carissa. Um, I'm so bad at picking out fabrics and picking out, um, rug sizes knowing the size rug for a room like I, th those things are so far um like i just really focus on specific technical details within cabinetry and lighting i love um i love playing around with the lighting temperatures uh things like that that's fascinating so i like i learned that i i think i kind of knew it but i didn't exactly until this last project where you were like well i don't deal with any of that stuff yeah like, wow and we talk about that all the time on the show like niching down and like doing what you're really good at and the competitive advantages that come with that um do you think it's it's been an advantage to you to to say no to all that other stuff and just do that one thing that one oh, thing? thank you that's such a nice i don't know who fh uh, D painting is but thank you um i think i think I don't know if, I, if this is like brain baggage uh, as growing up because my grandfather would always say like if you're a master of everything you're a master of none and so it was really something for me to and he'd always say like build up your toolbox like and for me that was like okay Amy if you want to be a designer you need to go learn I did I did mattress sales like I sold mattresses if you can sell a mattress you can sell anything <laughs> let's just start with that um then I did lighting layouts. Uh, I did I sold lighting for about a year and a half, and then I did uh, furniture showroom designs, um, which I I do a little vignettes for them. I hated, but it, like it got me familiar with different like a love seat size, a a sofa, um, a king size bed. That's how I know all these things. So I just became a master of what I was doing at that time. And then I worked for a restoration company that did mitigations when a home would flood or catch on fire or someone would die in a house or like throw, it was, it was gross. There's a lot of like crazy things that I saw. Um, and I became a master of that. And any, any job that I worked for, I treated it as if it was my own company. And that's one thing that all my bosses in the past always said about me was I worked as if it was as if it was my own, like, and I had my name on the line. Um, and then at one point, a builder was like, why are you working this hard for someone else? You should be working this hard for yourself. And that's when a light bulb went off. And I was like, let's do this. But um, so to answer your question, 
as I was writing my new website with another builder um, and I was asking him for advice and I was actually calling people too saying, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? Start out with my weaknesses because I need to end on a happy note. <laughs> so they tell me my weaknesses and then they tell me my strengths. And then I was saying all these to, um, to Jeff with Skyhouse down in North Carolina. And I'm like, Jeff, I need help writing my website because I need to make it very clear that I don't do the furnishings and the decorator um, type things because in, nowadays it's such a sensitive subject to be considered an interior designer versus an interior decorator. And, and I don't really think it is. I think you just say what you do and your title is your title. As long as it's clear what you do, I don't care if you call yourself an interior designer and it's clear that you're doing interior design and the furnishings. Um, but he was like, you're almost like an architect and a decorator having a baby. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I really am. <laughs> so on my website, I forget how it's like written. Um, actually, I will tell you. Um, because this is basically, it took me a very long time to figure out how to, um, to explain what I am. And so I wrote, while we are not an architect firm and don't proclaim to be an interior, de interior decorator, as colleagues have been known to describe working with us as if an arch architect and interior decorator had a baby, that baby's name would be Amy Lynn Interiors. Like, in a nutshell, that is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do dabble in the uh, architect side because I, I put together door and window schedules now, thanks to Jeff, and I put like interior door schedules and lighting schedules, um, lighting floor plans. So there's a lot of things that I do that typical um, decorators wouldn't, or maybe they do. Um, but it's just, it's, it's great to be able to kind of explain that I'm a mixture of both, but I do heavily focus on like the finer details. So then you have just uh, decorators that you work with or refer to then um, to sort of fill in the gaps. Like, does a client have to do that? Or do you kind of like, you must have a stable of people then because you're always, that's always a gap in the. It is. And so, and I've been trying to figure out how to fill it because the thing with um, the thing I've found with local interior decorators is they always have a specific style and my clients are so all over the place. I have clients that are super traditional, super bohemian, super rustic, um, modern, minimalist. And so my clients are so all over the place to try to find decorators who, cause it takes a lot for them to build relationships with like furniture makers and um, drapes. And so when they're, they have that relationship with a certain style furniture maker, it's tough for them to do some of my modern stuff or some of my boho stuff. And so that's, that's why I struggle with finding decorators and trying to create multiple relationships where they could fill that gap. Because believe me, it is a gap that I need filled because there are some jobs where uh, we'll go and we'll take pictures and the client has nothing in their living room. And I'm like, Oh, like what happened? She's like, we can't figure out what we want. And I'm like, I just feel like I want to help them. And then when I do help them, I spend more time trying to find where to go and what to look for because it's not second nature for me. When I, when I have a client that says to me like, oh, I need help for a light in my dining room table. I'm like, got it. It's in my head. I know where to go. I know exactly what you can do. But with furniture, I spend so much time spinning my wheels that it's just not fun. If that makes sense. Cool that you just this, like you know what you're good at and what you like and what gets you going and you've like stayed in your lane um, well 
I mean, yes, I I have a business coach and it's funny about two hours before this meeting, I had like a small break between meetings and I wrote on my question, how, what are, what podcasts can I listen to that can help me make a list of things that I want to do? What are some of the questions I can ask myself to allow me to create a list of things that I don't want to do? Cause like I can, I can rattle off a couple things, but it's not that much, but I'm like, I need to write down everything that I don't want to do. And then everything that I, I do, but I don't enjoy doing, because maybe that can create another position within my company that I can hire someone that's good at that. And I'm not. So I need to be better at saying what I don't do, because sometimes I just, I love the person and I want to work with them. So I say yes. And then it just, it gets to be not fun. Yeah. I've, I've, um, I'm reaping the benefits of saying no and saying, this is what we do. Um, Finally, it, it, there's like definitely yeah. pain points. There's like, it's painful in the beginning. Um, and now I almost get excited when it's a no, because it means like, oh, I just saved myself a bunch of time. And like, we weren't a good fit. Um, I had a client. Save them. Yeah. And it's like a win-win. I just had a phone call. and leaving that other estimate. That's a perfect fit for us. And I had a lady call and she's like, yeah, like we're, uh, would you be interested in giving us a quote? We're getting quotes for our exterior. Oh. It's like a stab in your heart. You're like, I don't want to waste my time. <laughs> yeah. How'd you hear about us? Is always like the first thing I say. Yeah. Like, oh, it was a Facebook group. Somebody said, I'm like, all right. I think I recommended her. I think I know. <laughs> really? She wants to paint poke and pole cabinets. This was, no, this was an interior oh. and they need to get it done now. And okay. I was like, oh man. I don't think we're going to be a good fit. So I said, like, we're going to be the most expensive and we can't do it till next year. And uh, that was my way of saying no, essentially. <laughs> and, uh, okay, I, you know, I think it's really the deal breaker is we need it done this year. I'm like, great. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there. when you start to, like, know what you're good at and what gets you going and make what you are really good at, it's like, why am I going to waste my time doing other stuff? Yeah. And, you know, I had a client um, that I'm working with Brian on and she's been emailing me asking to help with like her dining room set and a uh, dining room and like a living room set. And she's like, you know, can I, can I just do that by 10 hours and have you consult with that? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then a week later goes by and I'm talking to my business coach and I'm like, he's like, why haven't you done this yet? Why are you not started on this? Like it's been in your progress for a week and it's only a four hour commitment what's going on and I'm like <laughs> I'm like I don't I just don't want to do it I don't even know where to begin and he's like so then pick up the phone and call her that I'm like it really is that simple like why am I over like so I called called Susan I'm like Susan um I just I figured I'd call you because we I did her whole kitchen and we're moving into her master bathroom and I was like I don't want you to think that I don't enjoy working with you by any means by saying like I don't want to do this it's just not something that I I'm good at and I, like, I have relationships with, like, Rose Papar and Mitchell, Bob, and Gold. Like, I have relationships with these vendors that you could go in and they gladly take your plans and, like, guide you in a good direction if that's, like, what you're looking for. I'm terrible at it. And I don't want to, and I, and I don't want to, like, have you purchase 10 hours and then not get my energy that you got when we were designing your kitchen and when we're designing your master bathroom. And, she was like, oh, sweetie, she's the sweetest woman ever. She's like, don't worry. She's like, I totally understand. I'm so glad you called and told me. 
um mark's just gonna have to we're gonna have to go back to the place and we'll work with them directly the lady was super sweet so i'm i just didn't want to be stepping on your toes and i'm like oh my gosh she's doing that out of respect for me she didn't want to like work with the designer at the store because she thought that she would be offending me and i i thought that was the sweetest thing ever but it goes back to what we first talked about is communicating how to communicate and how to have those hard conversations with the with your clients and they can sense when the energy is not there. They can sense when they're pushing you in a way where maybe you're not comfortable or they can also sense when you're bullshitting too. And that's one good, th what's one thing that I'm terrible at doing. So I'm just like, I have no idea, but you know what? I promise you I'm going to look into this and I'll get back to you. Um, or I'll figure it out. Like there's no, there's nothing that we've ever come across that we haven't been able to. And except for interior decorating stuff, <laughs> not going to figure that out. <laughs> but she was really cool about it. And then I have another client now that's doing a, a deck and I'm helping her with that. And that was kind of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back where I was like, you know what? No more with this. It's just, it's really, it's not fair for them. I mean, it's great. It's great money. It's easy time for me. And it's things that I can turn around in a week or two which is a different pace than my other job that take eight to 12 months, but it's just not fun. It doesn't get that excitement that it does, you know, and you can relate to that. Totally. Did we do the beams? Is that the unit that we did the beams in? Oh yeah. 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 So, yeah that's the beam. That's the job where you clean them. And that, my mind was blown by that, by the way, I didn't even know, like, if you think about living in those, like those uh, condos in Union Wharf in Boston, those have been there for how many years and those beams have never been cleaned? Oh, it's crazy. They're just Ew. like traps. Yeah, so explain that. It's cold. It's um like uh, dry ice. It's dry ice. It's, so it's like sandblasting. Yeah. You would, you, the sand hits the surface and like degrades the surface. But instead of using sand, we used dry ice pellets. And so, how did Brian know to do this? Did you tell him about this or... He asked me, they initially asked me to sand down the beams. And I was like, all right, well, that's going to take us the next six months. And yeah. you're going to pay us $100,000. So I don't think you, I don't think sand, and you're going to lose the character of the beams. So oh, yeah. some of the beams on the other, at least the first unit we did were like this far apart. I'm like, yeah, oh, it's deep. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get a sander in there. That's so crazy. Okay. So I was like, you know what? I think we need to blast this. And uh, so I was initially, I, at the time I said soda blasting. You can also use baking soda and yep. medium. And then as I did some more homework, it was like, oh no, clearly dry ice is the best because dry ice just turns into gas. So there's no like cleanup. Oh, so except for the layer of like the, crap. The dust yeah. did, we had to clean up the dust. It made a wicked mess. Oh my gosh. But still we took out I want to say we took like 50 or 60 pounds of material off that project. And we went through four, 4,500 pounds of dry ice. Cool. I don't know why more. And I don't know if this is like a direction that you want to take your business in, but like every unit in Boston that has exposed beams like that should get their beam. Like that was disgusting. Brian was sending me pictures and he's like, Amy, I don't know why we didn't do this on the other unit. Like we, we painted between the beams black, but these, and they looked better. Like we were worried about the character being gone and like the rough spot, like the black areas, cause it's dirt essentially that's caked in there that makes them look so like crazy and like uh, rustic looking, but they look so good. Like the client was 
more than half and they're an older couple so they're not wanting to breathe in hundreds of years of germs especially i mean it's just even now with the whole COVID thing going on um can't even imagine like yeah the first client had like i think he had three or four hepa like air cleaners in his house like in every every room had a an air scrubber in it like the wow. light have as a, a personal use because of all the dust that was coming from his beams that's uh, so crazy yeah that that project that was so cool we're definitely going to do more of it um covid kind of hit we were planning on doing a, like a little marketing campaign but um it is it, it was sort of stumbled upon a, a phenomenal process there yeah that can you tell me about your the process and the, the technology and the computer program that you use as so i, I renderings and it's so cool <laughs> um i use chief architect and i i'm obsessed with it i've had it i've used it for almost seven years now i want to say and there are some some weird glitches to it, but I've kind of like I've paired it with SketchUp. So if I need to make anything that's like custom, I'll do it in SketchUp and then import it in. And a lot of people always ask like, where do you get your lighting? Your lighting looks so much better and the hardware and some of my materials. And I'm really good at like capturing or taking images and bringing it. Oh, thanks, Brett. Um, and bringing it in. That's my sister's husband, <laughs> my brother-in-law. Um, and uh, bringing it into the software and making it look real life. Um, I actually, I think that there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, just, I think you're your own worst critic, but I do want to make them look a little bit more realistic. However, my clients don't really demand for that. I think I just want to be able to like check it off the box to be like, okay, I have like, you can see like water in the tub or I want to look just a little bit more realistic. So I, Chief Architect is what I default to. And then I also use, I just switched over, slowly switching over to a Mac, um, Keynotes a lot for my presentations. And my presentation, the one thing I love about Keynotes is I can put an image on it, like a selection of a hardware, and then I can actually add a link to that image. So when you click on the image, the link pops up to the specs on it. So it's so easy for my clients to kind of see things and then see what the pricings are for each of the items or see the actual lengths of the hardware, whatever the lighting as well, what kind of bulbs we're going to need. So in the conceptual phase, it's great because I have the answers to basically everything that we need until it gets into the final phase and I can transport that into the selection sheet. So those are my two softwares that I use all the time in pipe drive. Pipe drive is my CRM. It's it's just the power of being able to visualize a space the way that you can with that is it's so cool. We uh we're <laughs> talking with uh, a builder about this uh, project that they're building. I think we're going to be doing the room. It's not set yet, but Fine Paints of Europe actually posted this picture that turned out to be a rendering. Huh. The picture was so realistic that Fine Paints of Europe actually reposted it, thinking it was a picture of the room. No way. So I, I'm going to have to send it to you. It's it's phenomenal, this rendering. Do you think it was it in, um, it probably was in Revit or some sort of a... Park Studio? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I think they were the ones that did it. And it's got oh. a gloss ceiling to it. And the so cool. gloss ceiling is like of the table below. And it it is, it looks like... If you didn't know it was a, not a rendering, you would think it was a, a photograph. Wow. Okay. 
I'll have to look at it. I want to answer that guy, um, level 10 painting. He said, what's your favorite way? Please don't say Chantilly. I'm so happy you're saying no Chantilly. Um, I actually worked with a builder that loved Chantilly. And I think it's, I don't even, I don't know why the obsession becomes with one white, um, but we've all done it. I like um, decorative white. I like simply white. Uh, I like, oh, pale oak is not like a white, but it, I, my clients respect it. And I, there's something about using like Swiss coffee with a simply white, just having like a subtle contrast kind of creates this like classic elegance to it. Um, it's funny because in my house that we just bought now, it has like a, a white trim, but then it has like a pale oak color on the, the main wall. And just the simple, the subtle difference adds like a little level of warmth to it besides it all being white. So my go-to is white dove or decorative white. Um, a lot of people's is Chantilly lace. Um, but I have to say it does come down to um, the light, what, what the temperature is of the light. If it's going to be, I know, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I love that answer. It's, it's like what I nerd out about product, like you nerd out about, it's, it's, a, it's an objective decision-making, like way to make a decision. Yeah. It's, what's the temperature of the light? Like, that will obviously change the color. Hundred percent. I I just don't hear people talk about what is the temperature of the light enough as it relates. So, I think. So I don't know if I have it. No, I don't have anything near me. So I actually I had my intern, and I I hope there's more designers listening to this because um, I watched the uh, Kelly Wessler designer masterclass. Have you do you have masterclass? I, I I literally Googled it today for the first time. Really? Okay. So I, I love it. I like, can go down a rabbit hole. And I a lot of people say that her class is very monotone. But like, for me, I can listen to anyone as long as they're like, teaching me something, I'm engaged. I don't care how you talk or how animated you are. Me too. Um, she inspired me because she talked about lighting. And she has this like whole kit of different color bulbs and different size bulbs. And she can dim them down. And she's like, you know, whenever it comes to lighting, I always get 100 watt if it's going to be on dim on a dimmer because you can change it to whatever you want for temperature and so i had my intern order these plug-in long extension like cable cords that have um an, an e26 bulb and then i also got these adapters and it's a dimmable one too um these adapters where you can put it into it and it makes it into like a is it the E16? What are the candelabra bulbs, the smaller ones? Um, you screw that into it, and then you can actually put a different size bulb into it. And then I got all of the different um, temperatures from 22,000 all the way up to 6,000 for daylight. And then I had her make a spreadsheet, and she's like, Amy, I'm learning so much about light. And I'm like, I wish someone taught me this, because... It's the worst when you have all of your recessed cans at 2700 and then you get a 3000 temperature island light and it totally changes the blue. You have like blue walls instead of white walls. And so lighting for me after working with the lighting store completely changed my game. And most of my clientele was real estate agents that wanted to come in and just buy a quick flip light just to put to refresh their space that they're trying to sell. And um, they didn't care about that. So I really didn't get the opportunity to. My first one was when I spec'd seven, seven different lights in the house and all of them had different color light bulbs. And I was like, wait, what are you, I was supposed to pick that? <laughs> so lighting can, lighting can make or break a design, 100%. And I think um, it can make or break paint too. There's no question. And just hearing that, like, 
it's going to, I'm going to have so many more, so many different conversations going forward based off of that variable that I think for most people, they're not looking at the light bulb as a variable to how the room looks. Yeah. Um, and it's a huge one. Do you use your compass a lot on your phone? I don't. Okay, so I am addicted to it. When it comes to like sun rising and sun setting, um, it's so important to know like what windows the sunset rises on, what it sets on, because if they're, this, this is a bedroom that's on like the sun setting side, like and they're doing a dark paint, it's gonna feel extra dark in there if they don't have maybe a light that, more lighting or too much lighting, they're gonna want a lot more lighting because they're never gonna have natural sunlight by the time they're in their bedroom. So it's just these things are kind of like a, uh, and also to get into like feng shui, like which way your bed should face to get like, to channel your energy and all these weird things. I don't wanna sound like a complete weirdo, <laughs> but but I would say the sun's, the sun's um, the way it moves is, is critical when it comes to paint because natural lighting is really the only thing that you can rely on. You can't really rely on what they're gonna do for their light bulbs. You can only just like engage that conversation. Yeah, and at least it's it's a variable there. But this, it just reminds me, like I'm probably not gonna start getting out my compass. I'm just gonna keep referring you to clients. <laughs> and when I first got into the painting business, I, I did, I'd never met a good designer. And I definitely didn't have a, like most, I, I feel like the average painter doesn't have a lot of good things to say about a designer. Oh, that's sad. And but yeah. that, that was my world. I didn't have any positive experiences, so I didn't have anything good to say about designers. I just felt like they, you know, they passed the buck all the time and they didn't add a lot of value and they squeezed the painter. And, but once I started working with good designers, it was like, I don't, I will never go back. Like, yeah, I was talking with, with Anna the first time I met her and I, I, I had some colors we'd use with other designers and I'm like, I have some color. And after that meeting, I was like, look, you need to talk to a designer. This is a massive project. Yeah. Like you and me pick the colors, but it just doesn't make sense. So it, just, it reminds me of how important having a good designer is. And also too, like, God forbid you pick the color and she didn't like it when it's all done. Guess who's going to be redoing it because you pick the color. Like, I don't responsibility. And for a designer, it's like, she, for example, like we went over all of the different options and why I'm picking that color. And, and I was like, okay, you're painting here. Is this a painting in her den? I was like, is this a painting that's significant? Is, is this going to be staying? And she's like, oh, I didn't think about that. And I'm like, yes or no? <laughs> like, because this is going to determine what what blue we're going to pick, you know, and what um, pop of color. And do you want this painting to stand out or do you want it to fade away? Is this, are we going to be designing around this paint? It, painting is what I'm asking. And like, at first it was like, no, we're, I don't know if it's going to stay. And then as we're picking out a blue, she's like, you know what, that painting is going to stay. Like, we got that on one of our trips together. It's a very special painting. So yeah, we're, we're definitely designing around that painting. So then they see the value in why we're picking the color that we're picking. And it's no longer, I'm telling them the paint color. It's very clear what the paint color is going to be because we're working off of something that has value, if that makes any sense. Yes, I think that's, that's the piece that I didn't understand with architects and designers and all these like, what are like softer, um, but there's a lot of objective things that go into the design that I think when you, as a lay person, first seeing it from above, you're just like, 
oh, they just kind of go in and they just like pick a color and like they say some like weird sentence and then their client goes with it. But really when you like deconstruct it and you go back to the fundamentals of what are we doing in this space and why and you do have a bunch of constraints that then leads you very clearly to the color. Uh, 100%. It's a beautiful thing. It's funny because when I first got there, she's like, Zach wants to do um, a black, then my husband wants to do like a black hood and a black island and this. I'm like, I get it. I like it's such high gloss paint is incredibly sexy. I know why they want it. But I'm like, it, it, it can't happen. <laughs> like, you, it's, you're gonna feel like you're gonna be a slave to your kitchen. And she just like, I know that's what I was worried about. And your hood, like, I think we can pull it in with accents and make it look incredible and what you're going to do there is going to be amazing i can't wait to see that transformation yeah it's going to be awesome so we don't have i don't want to to uh, get you in trouble so we're going to try to get you wrapped up but we have a few questions uh that we ask everybody at the end of the show um so for you it's it's going to be a, you're not a painter you're a designer so we're going to ask you uh, a diy design tip oh okay so we and this is like, um, we just bought a post spin beam colonial and I'm obsessed with it. Everyone's like, they never saw, I think cause they have very clean line designs. People don't know my own style cause I've never designed my own home, but for my own home, it's very much main, like where I grew up and a cane, like I said, was very close to my heart. So we have these, um, three panel closet doors and there's like a raised, um, frame with like a raised panel in the middle I'm knocking the raised panel out and I'm putting cane in there and those are going to be our closet doors and I'm so excited about it because it's just gonna like it's gonna remind me of like good memories um but also look really really nice for the closet you have a chair that's cane in the back is that right is that what caning is oh yeah Um, hmm. Pause you. Oh. All right, we're back. Oh, you're frozen. Air back there, right? Yes, that is. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so that's the DIY one that I'm yeah, getting. Is take the raised panel out and put caning in. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. What is your favorite piece of design paraphernalia? Like it could be a tool, it could be a substrate, a material. Like when it comes to design, what's your favorite like? piece of paraphernalia if it, if you will everyone's gonna like knock on me for this but it's my laser i'm only five feet tall and that thing is incredible <laughs> like for getting my overalls i do my laser i i do individuals with my fat max i love my fat max it never fails like i can stretch it out to 25 feet and it's still fine um but I, I compass. <laughs> I do like my compass, but <laughs> that didn't come to mind as a tool. But my laser, my Bosch laser, I've had it for seven years, and it's. I just had to change the batteries, and I use it all the time. I've even had some of my older contractors want to compete me on how accurate it is, and I'm like, oh my god, here we go again. So yeah, I would say my laser and my level too. I actually love. Um, I have a four foot level, and when it comes to cabinetry, it's like so important to figure out if it's unlevel from like the wall out because it's two feet deep cabinets. So I'll run the level there all the way down just to see if it's really out of level because we're, we're going to have to work with the shortest point for, um, for cabinetry. 
and uh especially like modern designs so my four foot level is another one where i use it on the wall and the, the floor for between level and plum awesome what's yeah. your favorite color chart what's my preferred color chart yeah oh boy um to wear black and white uh for uh i like classics color i feel like i'm always drawn to like the classic series of a lot of the paints um is that what you mean yeah i so a lot of designers have like a i like to use the benjamin moore color chart um they'll i don't know i just i wrote it down because i figured no it's so it's the classic no, it's, it's, answer yeah, I would say I'm, I definitely, uh, I'm drawn to, I don't like pastels. I'm really drawn to like super rich colors. I'm going to have to show you this. Have you seen the C2 color chart? No. Oh, wait. No, I'm thinking of the RAL colors. Never mind. I need to get you a C2 color chart and turn you on to C2 color. All right. Paint company, small paint company. If you're not going to use fine paints of Europe, I would recommend C2. Okay. As they're the premier, they're the highest quality domestic paint manufacturer. Um, it's like a bunch of small hardware stores started a paint company. Okay. Like uh, the other guys. So they have this like, they don't use black tint. So it's it's um, the full spectrum color. So all their colors come from not black tint combined in there. Whatever For whatever that means, it probably means more to you than me. But they have, they only have like 570 colors. Only? <laughs> But you know how those color charts get? They're ridiculous. They're yeah. Added and no one uses half the color. Yeah. Um, and then at the paint store that sells C2 paint, they have a C2 full, um, the letter C, the number two. They have, at the paint stores, they'll have a like a piece of um, poster board that's like, I don't know, two by three, a little smaller, with the actual paint on it. Huh. So you have to get color, like paint, pots and like put them on the wall you can take this poster board and move it around the room and around the house and it's the exact color and the exact paint oh that reminds me i um my intern because she's amazing she found this um this new oh my gosh where is it i sent it to one of my clients said over oh, right here um it's this new thing that you can go on and buy stickers of paint it's called peel and stick paint samples it's called Sampleize, S-A-M-P-L-I-Z-E dot com. And you, it's like $6, no shipping. Um, $6 includes shipping. And you literally pick out a paint color and it's like a sticker that you put on the wall. Have you heard of that before? I've heard of it. It's pretty cool. So I'm like, it, it seems like it'd be nice to, uh, it ships within 24 hours, peel and stick application, no cleanup, no wasted material, no storage. Yeah. It's a great, it, it's just horrible to do the, let's go to Sherwin-Williams, buy a sample cork yeah. and on a wall. That is for the birds. Yeah, it, it is. Coats, you get the actual color. So whatever color is below is not like bleeding through. You get this horrible texture. The The sheen is, it's not real paint. Yeah. Um, it looks like the girl beloved, um, she ordered it and said she was happy with it. I'm going to try it. I'm just curious to see. Uh, Farrell, they have Farrell and Ball, Benjamin Moore, Sharon Williams. They don't, they don't have fine paints of Europe, which doesn't surprise me, um, just because it is so expensive that I'm sure it costs like thirty bucks for or fifty bucks for a square. But uh, it'd be worth it. Like C two, if you can find a local paint store that sells it, um, okay. Brown sells it, I think. Um, 
But can I ask you what your favorite white is? My favorite white is whatever the designer says. <laughs> it's probably um I mean I like simply white, decorators white. It, I, again, it, it comes down to the space. Like, is it a cool yeah. one or it, really the two that you said, like, is what I go with. And what yeah. I is if they want a warm white, we're doing white dove. If they want a cool white, it's decorators white or simply white. Um, yeah, that's kind of the, the go-to. Um, and now, last but not least, the best part. Give us your, like, worst horror story. You've just shown all of this, like, expertise. Everybody has to <laughs> you. So now we need to humanize you by pulling you down to our level. <laughs> uh, embarrassing story. Gosh, I don't know if anyone follows me, but I used to do mistake Mondays and I probably should just bring them back. Um, Good. I make a lot of mistakes, but I learn from every single one of them. Uh, I like in this industry, you have to. And if you don't, you're just going to I mean, that's the thing is like in this industry, if you don't admit to making your mistakes, you're going to keep making them because you're almost just like putting it underneath, I don't know, you're just like burying it. Um, a recent mistake, besides not saying no for a project, um, so oh. For, I've had people, some like very well-respected, I tell everyone this, but a very well-respected, like humble, super nice, honest Minnesotan told us a story of when he first started painting out on his own, he spilled paint on a carpet tried to clean it up inside a client's house and couldn't. And he ended up moving a piece of furniture over the top of that section of carpet and moving on. And it's haunted him his whole life. <laughs> and so those that had hundreds of cars got paint, got painted over spray on them. So we've had some like some crazy ones. So what do you got for us? I know my most recent one's not even that bad. Um, I'll go back to the, uh, I'll do, I'll share one that I've shared before, but it's on my podcast. So I think I have different listeners here. Um, back in my beginner days, I was so excited. I got an 18 unit uh, development and actually it's actually one of those things where to this day it's haunted me until I recently saw the designer and was like, we need to just like I need I need to apologize. Like I was I was so young. Let me get into the story and I'll explain what I said after. So, eighteen units uh, in Salem, New Hampshire, and the the contractor, the architect, and the develop the uh, investors. We were all in a room and they're like, you know, can you deliver this by in three weeks? And I'm like, hundred percent. And I leave the room and I'm like hell no, I can't get this done in three weeks. <laughs> like, how, like, why did I just say that? It was my first big job. And I'm like, I just committed to something that I'm literally going to have to move mountains to do, like 100%. And I'm like, I have two dogs. I have a boyfriend at the time, now husband. Like, I still have a life that I have to live. I can't just, like, work this much for the next three weeks. It's just not possible. So I asked another designer to, to help me, and she was an established designer, and – really knew her stuff and I'm like this is perfect like I'll she'll be able to she uses the same software as I do we'll like we'll just narrow vision like tunnel vision gotta get this done let's let's get together and do it and she kept saying like we should we should do a contract we should like figure out our roles and responsibility figure out like what's expected from us I'm like yeah it's fine like this is what I need can you deliver it yes yes great all right comes time to do presentation and there's revisions and then there's like a personality clash where they're like, we really thought we were only working with you. And, you know, if you're going to bring on other designers then we need to have their insurance and all these other things. And I'm like, Oh my God, I was just trying to like meet a deadline. And, um, 
So long story short, I had to call her after the meeting and say, unfortunately, like, work, I'm going to have to take this project on my own now. They want to just work with one person. I was, I didn't have clear expectations with them. My contract said that I'd be performing all the work. I wouldn't be subbing it out. So I can't break my contract with them. And I never had a contract with you. And she was completely upset by it. She was like, are you like when we were friends too? And she was like, why would like, I kept saying that we needed to have a contract. I kept saying that we needed to have roles and responsibilities. And and you just let the excitement get in the way of it. And it's like, is a job more important than our friendship? And when she said that, I like, oh, like my heart like shattered. And I'm like, it's so true. Like, why didn't we just like pump the brakes and just make a contract and make a list of what was expected and follow through? Like, I just I got so excited that I was just like a deer in headlights and wanted to like, do it because I knew I was capable of it. But it just it was so it was so bad and I just I wish I could tell my younger self like get your shit together like get a contract in place with every person that you work with get your like write out a list of everything that you want to do set realistic expectations and say like I'm not going to get it done in three weeks I need two extra weeks because guess what I went back to the guys and I said hey I'm not going to be able to get this done I need two extra weeks sure no problem like if I just asked in the beginning I would have saved a friendship. And so for a while, um, it was awkward. We had mutual friends and we shopped at the same places and I see her and I just like instantly feel like awful because I'm like, here I am, this naive designer who totally used excitement over doing the right thing. And it's every day in my life now, like anytime I get excited, I'm like, okay, am I, am I doing this correct? Am I not letting my excitement say yes to a job that I don't want to do? Am I not letting, am I letting my excitement not set realistic expectations and contracts for everything? Even having a contract with myself in my business, like this is what I need to do as an owner. This is what I need to do with my intern. Like my intern and I have a contract together and I have deliverables for each week. So it's just, I think everything need in a business, it's not just a, a handshake, like the old ways. It needs to be, crystal clear and when it's not people's feelings get hurt and that's how bad reputations come and to this day like even though we've like i said to her like can we just talk i ran into her into a tile store i was like picking out beautiful stuff for an amazing project i see her walking i'm like oh my god i'm gonna have to face this right now like this is only fair like i'm this you know and um so we started talking i was like i gotta be honest with you I owe you an apology. And she's like, you don't owe me an apology. I'm like, no, I do. And I was like, let me explain why. And I went through how I let everything kind of get the best of me. And I am very sorry. And I put our friendship second. And I've learned a lot from it. I think about you literally every day, as weird as that sounds. But it, it does. It haunts you. Those mistakes, like, they hurt you deep. But also, I think the quicker you face them, it took me two years to, like, talk to her. I should have done that in a month. And I, that's one thing that I apologize. I was like, I'm sorry that it's two years later that I'm here now having this conversation with you. I should have had this conversation with you two years ago. And I think um, the quicker that you can admit when you're wrong and the quicker that you can address it and, and move forward, um, that's when the growing begins. And so I'm so thankful that I ran into her. I'm just really upset with myself that it took me to run into her at a tile place. Like, why didn't I just put, put my big girl pants on and like, you know, so that's something that I would say I wish I could tell my younger self.
I love it. That just reminded me of a, um, I, I have something similar where I <laughs> stop waiting to run into somebody. Uh, it's just <laughs> call them. And, and that's like, we had so many mutual friends too. And they're like, just call her. Like, she's such an understanding person. I'm like, yeah, but like, I really screwed up. Like, there's not like a, this needs to be like an in-person thing. Well then go, go find her. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm like, uh, so yeah, that's, um, it actually feels good talking about it now because on the podcast too and I talked about it a lot of people reach out to me and they said like thank you like that's kind of pushed me to to make that call but if I was on the flip side and someone else did that to me and they ignored me for two years there is no way if I saw them in the store I'd be turning right back around like so I would just I think it's um it just says a lot about your character and unfortunately I was not um, in the right place for two years and I was really caught up in the grind of things to really pay attention to um, good relationships. And I think in the end, relationships are what you have at the end of the day, no matter how beautiful your projects are. It's all about, is my client still a friend? Is every, like, are all these people that are around me, people that I enjoy? It's all about relationships. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for telling us that story. <laughs> so that's my humanizing story, but I'm very human. I make a lot of mistakes. They're just not all ones that I lose sleep over. That's awesome. Anyone who's not following Amy on Instagram should after this. Uh, you're a great follow. I love how detailed you get behind the scenes. Um, we didn't get to talk about a bunch of stuff but at another time we'll talk about. I, I know that you're incredibly organized and very meticulous in like your note taking and your systems and your, your notebook. And I, at another time, we'll talk about that stuff. I'd love to. Um, and we'll talk about the podcast. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks, Zach. This was fun. You're awesome. <laughs>